Pastor Doug is telling me to move closer to the edge, but sometimes I accidentally shoot stuff out of my mouth. And, and I'm sure y'all had a shower already. Y'all don't need another one, you know. No. Good morning, Grace family. So good to be here together in the presence of the Lord to worship. Wasn't worship good? Good to feel God's presence and acknowledge how great he is. Uh, before we get started in the word, I do have an announcement for parents. Um, if you have a teen or a child in middle school or the high school ministries, immediately after this service, there's going to be a parent meeting regarding a new series that we're starting uh, called, I just forgot about it. Bam, there it is behind me. Um, it's purity and porn, that's it, boom. And um, many of you may not be aware of this, many of you are, but our kids are struggling with porn at an earlier age. It is in video games, it is on their social media devices, and it's affecting really all of us. And so here is a great opportunity uh, for your students to really receive some wisdom from God's word about how to live pure lives in this generation. And so very good informational meeting for parents right after here in the cafe. Uh, Pastor Doug and Lily will be hosting that and leading you through, letting you know what's happening in that series. If you don't have a child in middle school or high school and you're thinking, hey, I still think I might wanna be a part of some of those sessions, you're welcome to join them as well. It's just good information. Cool? All right. Okay, so we have been in this series, Hope Resurrected, or yes, Hope Restored. And uh, it started on Resurrection Sunday, Easter, uh, really talking about the hope that the resurrection brings. And so today we are going to continue in this series on hope. And I'll be starting uh, today, and we're going to look at the Psalms, at the book of Psalms. So if you have your Bible, uh, turn to the book of Psalms. It's right in the middle. Um, probably the longest book in the Bible, I believe. Um, and uh, some really good wisdom there. It's the hymn book of Scripture. That's where the music is all contained. And in that, you have a variety of Psalms written uh, just about different experiences. Um, and uh, there's a theologian by the name of Walter Brueggemann he wrote a book called The Spirituality of the Psalms. And it provides a, a helpful paradigm for today for us to, to look at these psalms. And in his paradigm, he talks about three kinds of psalms. Um, and the first psalm, the first kind or type of psalm that he talks about is a psalm of orientation. And he says that these are the psalms we are most comfortable with. These are psalms of gratitude for God's ordering of life. These psalms reflect life the way it is expected to be, full of blessings for the saints. So these psalms are the psalms when everything is going as it should. And this is, thank you, Lord. This is so great. Oh, yes. God is good, and he's good all the time. It's a psalm of orientation where we are just living in God's goodness. We're basking in it. We're aware of all the blessings, all the right things are happening. The next type of psalm he talks about is a psalm of disorientation. 
Now he says, these are psalms, these psalms are the reaction of the faithful to God when the world they knew was broken. These are psalms of lament that move and deepen the faith of the worshiper. So a psalm of disorientation is like, what the what? <laughs> what in the world just happened? God, where are you? Where is the God of Elijah? Where's the God of Moses? These are the Psalms when things aren't going as well as we think they should. These are the Psalms that awaken us and cause us to, to weep. We begin to see reality for what it is. Things are, our world, our perfect, comfortable world is disrupted. And now we're like, oh God, what's going on? And it makes us aware of God in new ways. It makes us aware of ourselves in new ways. And it should bring us to a place of lament. And I'll say more about that a little later. The third type of psalm is a psalm of new orientation or reorientation. And Walter Brueggemann says, these are deeper versions of the orientation psalms. Disorientation is now past and the singer praises God for salvation or deliverance. These are the psalms where it's like, I almost lost it. But God stepped in right on time. I was just at the breaking point and God showed up. These are songs now where we are grateful. We're brought to renewed hope. We're rejoicing and we are just so grateful for God's deliverance or his rescue. Now, the reason I bring this up because it's important to realize that we have psalms for each and every one of our experiences. And I think there's a temptation in our time to only sing the happy songs, the songs of orientation. And we make little place in our lives for lament. You know, everybody got to have a little bit of blues in their collection. You got to have a little bit of songs that help you to weep and cry out to God in the sad times, in the times where things aren't going well. And there's this temptation to sing songs or, you know, when people ask you how things are going, oh, it's just fine and dandy. Things are going well. Things are going great. And really, you know it's not. But we just haven't learned how to be okay where we are. And so we're going to look at a psalm of lament, and we're going to start off in Psalm 137. This isn't a pretty psalm. Uh, this isn't one that you might... I don't think you'll want to sing this, and you'll see what I mean in a little bit. But I want to give you a little background of this song. Um, you know the history of God's people in the Old Testament. They were in bondage in Egypt to Pharaoh, and God brings them out, uses Moses to, to be a deliverer unto them, brings them out, and Moses tells them, hey, God wants to take you. He wants to bring you to himself and he wants to take you to a land overflowing with milk and honey. And you know the story. They leave slavery. God rescues them, delivers them with a mighty hand. And they sing praises to God. You know, eventually, you know, they make it through the wilderness. They get to the promised land, and they're living there. And one of the things that God tells his people, he says, look, he says, now, I rescued you, I rescued you from Pharaoh and from Egypt. You are never to become that. I've rescued you because I want to make you a nation of priests. In other words, I want you 
to reflect my glory and goodness to the other nations so they look at you and they see me and they want to come into relationship with me. And so he gives them this mission out of them being rescued and brought into this new place. Well, as they're in the promised land and time goes on, they fall away from God. They turn away from him. They get into this you know, kind of uh, pattern of, hey, we're faithful, now we're unfaithful. Faithful, unfaithful. And, you know, one of the things that God told him, he says, look, you, you're going to see other stuff happening in other nations. You're not supposed to be like the other nations. Just be faithful to me, faithful to my commands. Well, you know, they can't help but look at the other nations and see, oh, they're successful because they got a king. You know what? We want a king too. And they tell the prophet Samuel, hey, give us a king. He's like, oh, God is your king. Are you sure you want a king? We want a king. We, you see the other nations, they got kings. Give us a king. So, you know, <laughs> pray. God has King Saul, who, who is, he's human. <laughs> he does some okay things, does some terrible things. God takes the kingdom away from him and gives it to a man who's described to be after his own heart, King David. And if you've read scripture, you know that King David is the greatest king in Israelite history. But he isn't a perfect king. He's a deeply flawed man. But something about his heart keeps getting up to chase after God. When a prophet confronts him, he repents. I mean, his heart is steadily chasing after God. And, you know, he's, he's getting the kingdom off on the right foot. And then after he passes, his son, Solomon, becomes king. And Solomon is known to be the wisest man besides Jesus that has ever lived. And Solomon is celebrated in all of his wisdom. He brings, he builds a temple uh, before the Lord, a house for God. And, I mean, he does some glorious things. And the kingdom reaches its height of wealth and glory under his reign. So much so that the queen, come, the queen of Sheba comes to visit him, and when she visits him, it says that her breath is taken away by everything that she sees. But while that's happening, there's this undercurrent. Solomon only, he not only builds a house for the Lord, but he's also building these other temples to other gods. And there's this idolatry that's happening. And very slowly, it's like Solomon is becoming a type of new pharaoh. And pretty soon, at the end of his reign, God has already decided that the kingdom is going to split. He, judgment is going to happen. And Solomon, when he passes away and one of his sons is on the throne, the people come to him and say, look, your father has worked us to the bone. People have a sense of enslavement. In this kingdom that was meant to be liberation and freedom and hope, these people saying, look, he's did all of these building campaigns, building temples, building cribs. It's, we need a break. And eventually, it goes through a series of kings, and then God's people are taken into exile. God's people who experienced this glorious reign are now in captivity. And this is where we come to this psalm where these people have been captive, and this is what this psalm is about. And so here it is. Took me a minute to get there, but Psalm 137, beginning at verse 1, by the waters of Babylon, there we sat down and wept when we remembered Zion. On the willows there, we hung up our lyres. 
For there are captors required of us songs, and our tormentors mirth, saying, sing us one of those songs of Zion. Sing us one of those good old orientation hits. How shall we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? If I forget you, O Jerusalem, let my right hand forget its skill. Let my tongue stick to the roof of my mouth if I do not remember you, if I do not set Jerusalem above my highest joy. Remember, O Lord, against the Edomites the day of Jerusalem, how they said, lay it bare, lay it bare, down to its foundations. O daughter of Babylon, doomed to be destroyed, blessed shall he be who repays you with what you have done to us. Blessed shall he be who takes your little ones and dashes them against the rocks. Some strong words, right? How many of you feel like celebrating after reading that? No, you, you really don't because here, writing this, this is coming out of some deep sorrow and some deep pain. There's some anger there. Here the people of God, they find themselves displaced. They are now in exile. Because of their own disobedience, their own unfaithfulness to God, and they're disoriented now. This, this is a, a place now. It's jolted them. And it's no longer comfortable. Their eyes are awake, or as we say today, they woke now. <laughs> they woke, for real. And they're praying, and, you know, they're experiencing the torment. You know, their, captor, their captors are saying to them, hey, sing us one of them Zion songs. You know about how great your God is? You, you got any of those? Have you ever been tormented by the enemy? You know, you, things may be going well, you may be serving God the best you know how, but then all of a sudden your life is turned upside down. And now the enemy laughs at you and mocks you. Where's your faith now? Where's the God you were singing so boldly about now? Where is he? Sing us one of those songs now, sing that. And you know what they did? They hung their instruments of worship and praise on the tree. Because they didn't have a song for this. They didn't know what to sing now. Because they're just in a matter of disbelief and a matter of shock. And you know how it is when things happen all of a sudden. It just throws you for a loop. But thanks be to God that God does not leave us alone even in the worst of times. And we just need a moment sometimes to just breathe and to lament and to weep and allow ourselves to be touched with the pain and the sorrow we feel. And I'm afraid that many of us, including myself, don't know how to do that well. You know, me personally, I don't have time for emotions. <laughs> I got things to get done, so I ain't got time to cry. And God doesn't want me to avoid those emotions because we get wounded in the areas of our emotions and we stuff them down thinking that they're gone, but they still, they're just deep down. And these are times when we need to let our hearts cry out before the Lord. 
We need to turn this pain into a prayer and to begin to cry out to him and say, God, where are you? God, what is going on? Things were good just like three seconds ago. What happened? And a lot of times we think that God will be upset at us if we complain, if we lament. And really, God's been at this a long time. Look in the Psalms. They've been asking God a lot of questions about where are you? What's going on? God is big enough to handle our questions. He's big enough to handle our questions and our disappointments and our hurts. What's troubling is if we carry these hurts and disappointments and we don't bring them to him. And we just try to deal with them on our own and figure them out when God wants us to bring it to him. Because in that, he's going to show us about something about himself. He's going to reveal us. He's going to reveal unto us a greater depth of who he is. That's a psalm of disorientation. Now, I want to take you someplace else in the scriptures. I want to take you to the book of Lamentations. The book of Lamentations. Lamentations, the third chapter, looking specifically at verses 19, 26. This is a book of weeping. <laughs> uh, and once again, God's people are in exile. And this book is written by uh, Jeremiah. And Jeremiah is one of the prophets. It's interesting, too, that most of the prophetic books are written when God's people are in exile. When they are without hope. And things are going terrible because God has something to say about those times. And it's often that God will give us a word when we're experiencing tough times to encourage us to make it through. And so Jeremiah, he has a nickname. He's known as the weeping prophet because most of his prophecies are filled with grief. And they're filled with pain and sorrow. And as a prophet, he has to embody that message that God gives him. But even deeper than that, I think he's giving us a picture of God's heart, that God also is grieved when we are grieved, that God doesn't take delight in our pain and in our hurt, but he actually weeps as well, that his heart yearns for each and every one of us. And so Jeremiah, the weeping prophet, this is something that he pens. This is a lament. And looking at verse 19, he says, Remember my affliction and my wanderings, the wormwood and the gall. In other words, they're very bitter. My soul continually remembers it and is bowed down within me. My soul is heavy. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. What powerful words. Here, Jeremiah, he admits where he is. He says, look, 
when I remember how bitter things are right now, my soul gets heavy within me. He says, but wait, I, I have a sense of hope because what I remember and what I call to mind is the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning and great is his faithfulness. What is he saying? He's like, look, it's terrible. I'm just going to be honest with you. It's terrible. It's hard. My soul is heavy right now. I got the blues, but I'm not without hope. Even though I'm in sorrow, yet I have hope. I have this bright sadness because I know God's up to something, even in this. And when you look at some of the other psalms of disorientation in the book of Psalms, you'll see that they always either refer back to creation or they refer back to the time they were in bondage to Pharaoh. And what they're doing is they're exercising the gift of memory. Because when you can't see hope necessarily for tomorrow, sometimes you got to go back to see the future. And so sometimes they recall those creational psalms because they remember that it was out of chaos that God brought order. It was out of nothing. The earth was formless and void. It was out of that that he brought forth this beautiful creation. They have to go back to, we were slaves. Pharaoh let us go and we got to the Red Sea and we started complaining and there was no way from these guys. But God made a way out of no way. He split it and we walked across on dry land. What are they doing? They're rehearsing the memory. They're saying, you know what? When I can't see the future, I'll go back to the past. And the past reminds me that the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. If he did it before, he'll do it again. He's the same God right now as he was way back then. And so we can trust him. We can have hope knowing that, you know what, it's rough right now. And what was interesting about Israel, they were called to be priests to the other nations. They were called to shine forth God's light. But in the comfort, it seems like instead of a house made of mirrors where the light, or windows where the light could shine out to the nations, it seemed like their house was made out of mirrors and they got caught up in their own glory. And so God says, oh, I got to knock this thing down because you've forgotten what I've called you to. And it's interesting when I look at the scriptures and I see people like Daniel and the three Hebrew boys, Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego, these were guys who were a part of that exile. But these are guys who respond differently. They begin to call on God in their exile, and they begin to live faithful lives, and God does some extraordinary things through these fellas. And it's actually in exile that they become priests to the other nations, that other people begin to say, whoa, something special about these fellas. 
their God must be the true and living God. And it's something, often we think that people will come to God when we're on the top of the mountain. (laughs) But people often come to God when we feel like we're in exile and things aren't going well. Well, what happens here? Because we're able to feel again. Sometimes, you know, in the church, we have a, tempta- a temptation to build a, a cul-de-sac around our communities. And so we could be like, hey, we're a mosaic in here. We're a mosaic. I'm a mosaic. You're a mosaic. We're all a mosaic. One more time. <laughs> and then when you look out in the world and you realize how broken people really are, that whites and blacks are going at it. Asians and Hispanics going at it. People of, from different races, people of different generations are all going at it. And the world is hurting and the world is in pain and we're like, I'm a mosaic. And we're caught up in our own song and God has to shake us up a little bit so that we don't get comfortable. And you know, when something happens in the street, when a, a, a young black boy is killed, for whatever reason, it shakes us up. And then all of this stuff here that was behind our mosaic starts to come on out. And as an African-American man, I start to feel angry. As, as, a, as a, a white male, you might start to feel angry. And we start to go at it and bashing, and nobody's weeping over the condition. Because we're defending our positions. And it doesn't matter what it's over. It could be over sickness. It could be whatever. We're not feeling the pain. And God has to wake us up. And sometimes put us in a state of exile so we remember, oh, wait a minute. And then our heart begins to break. God, something is wrong with our world. And then we begin to realize like, hey, things won't change unless God shows up. And see, when we're in a state of disorientation, it makes us recognize that, oh, I can't do a thing about it. It's God's power that's got to change things. And then we begin to weep, God, can you do something about the poverty in the world? God, can you do something about the violence in the world? God, can you do something about the hatred in the world? God, can you do something about the displaced people in the world? And we begin to weep and our heart begins to moan because our heart is now broken. And God says, that's a heart I can use. That's a heart I can use because as long as we're wanting healing to happen from a place of pride. God, could you just heal so we could see your mighty power? Rather than God, you know, when Jesus healed people, it says that he had compassion on them. And you got to have a broken heart to have some compassion because when you pray for for healing for someone with the heart of compassion, that's humility and God will show his power through that. When you begin to see the brokenness over racism in the world and your heart begins to cry out to God and God says, hey, I've reconciled you to me to make you a reconciler. I'm ready to pour my spirit out on you in a new way so you can be people of the resurrection. See, the truth is, is that our baptism is sort of like an ordination to a a priesthood of all believers. (laughs) 
because we go down. And when we go down, we're identifying with Christ's death. And on the cross is where he took the old creation to himself. The pain, the brokenness, and he nailed it to the tree. And he died saying that, hey, this old world coming to a close. But then as we're down in the water and we come up, we recognize that, oh, we've been united with Christ in his resurrection. When he got up is when he began the work which he says in Revelation, I'm making all things new. See, he rose on the first day of the week, saying that on this first day, I'm starting a new creation. And you and I are identified. We are new creations in him. And every once in a while, he's got to bring these new creations to a place of brokenness so that we come back and we rely on him. And we realize, wait a minute, it's not of ourselves. It's not by our own might. It's not by our own power. But it's by his spirit, says the Lord. And we begin to put ourselves in a place of new openness before God. God, it's broken. And while prayers turn from God, would you do something about it? God, would you respond to God? Would you do something through me? And then he says, yeah, he says, I'm ready for you to be my priest because I've called you to be a royal priesthood. I've called you to show forth the kingdom. We're supposed to be ambassadors of the kingdom, bringing good news. But what happens when we're isolated from the pain of the world? What happens when we're not in touch with our own pain? Somehow our heart becomes cold and we just start to see things that ain't even there. And God has to shake us up, get us out of ourselves so that we could be open to a new reality. Last passage I want to take you to here is a psalm of reorientation, a psalm of new orientation. And this is Psalm 126. And the writer of the psalm says this, when the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy. And they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us and we are glad. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Nejah. Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. Those who sow in tears shall reap in joy. Such wisdom found in this song. See, here's the power of lament. When I begin to weep, when my heart is broken about things being disoriented, those tears that I cry out to the Lord, those tears of sorrow, 
become seeds of hope for tomorrow. And although I'm crying right now, every tear is being counted by God. And there are some times that we can't pray as we ought, and the Holy Spirit helps us by making these groanings. Oh. Have you ever been in a state of sorrow where you can't even, you just go, mm. And then we're moved to tears. And these tears, God is bottling up everyone, and he is hearing the prayers that come from those tears. And those tears may be falling in barren places where there seem like there's no life. But all of a sudden, because in these tears are seeds for hope, when we begin to cry, after a while, things begin to grow. And we begin to see hope. Actually, as our tears clean our physical eyes, so do our tears clean our spiritual eyes. Because after weeping and crying out before the Lord, we can see clearly what he's doing. God can reveal to us, all right, you've got a broken heart. There's some brokenness now. Let me show you what my hope is. Let me show you what my vision is for tomorrow. And after we've wept and cried, we now see, ah, oh, weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. And it's all right. I may be crying right now. You know, some of these songs, I may not be feeling quite happy enough to sing them. I may be feeling sorrow, and I may be singing them with tears in my eyes, but that's okay. Don't let the enemy make you hang up your instrument. Because our worship and our praise can be a weapon. I'm going to ask John to come, and he's going to lead us in a, a song of response. But sometimes we're singing not what we're feeling, but we're singing what we're believing and what we're hoping. And sometimes the song that we sing have to be a declaration of faith. You made a way. When our backs were against the wall and it looked like it was over, you. And sometimes we're singing out of faith and you may be weeping, you may be crying, but it's all good. Who cares you got snot coming down? I mean, you get some tissue later, right? But this is a prayer to the Lord. It's a declaration of faith, saying, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief, and I'm gonna keep singing. Even though I don't see any fruit, any, 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 I don't see any signs of life, I'm gonna keep singing. Amen.
these two things, that there was someone here dealing with lower back pain from an injury, uh, they would like to pray with you up front after the service, immediately after the service. I'm reading this because I prayed with somebody last night with the back injury who was getting ready to have surgery, but I'm sorry. And the other thing is those of you wrestling with depression, um, they would like to pray for you. And there may be some of you here this morning you don't know the Lord Jesus as your Savior. And you have been experiencing his love this morning. And you're saying, you know what? I think today is the day of salvation for me. And you want to give your heart to the Lord. You need to come. And someone will pray with you. You could be wrestling with sickness. You can be dealing with loss. You can find yourself lamenting over many things. And it's okay to be as you are. But come and receive prayer and let them minister grace unto you by the Spirit of the Lord. Amen. Father, we want to thank you because you really are good. When things are going well, you are good. When things aren't going so well, you are good. When things have changed and we are experiencing a turnaround, you are still good. And God, we thank you that your steadfast love never ceases. We thank you that your mercies are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Now, Father, may we be a people who live and rest in your love. May we be a people when weeping are hoping. May we be ministers of reconciliation, ministers of hope, and ambassadors of your kingdom and of your love. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. amen. God bless you.